children who would like to go to our kids' ministry time, uh, they can be dismissed right out the back door. And uh, that sounds out the back door. No, uh, not, not outside, just out the back door. They go to their classroom. and oh, Really great, really great. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. As always, I am, I am certainly um, always feel very privileged that, um, that I get entrusted with standing before you and opening the Word of God. Um, invite you to go ahead and open your uh, Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We're actually going to be all over Scripture this morning. Um, I said in this series of messages, which we'll finish up next week, um, I've been kind of, we've been kind of bouncing all over scripture. Normally I like to camp out in a passage and just exposit that passage, but we've kind of been doing something a little more topical because we've been talking about the, uh, the mission and vision of Hope Bible Fellowship in hopes of getting us all on the same page and to buy in to what our mission is as a church. And we had a great time last week with Matt uh, Baird here filling in in worship as our guest and um, talking about gathering together. But I want to remind you first of, of our mission statement, what our mission is, and that is this. And I don't know if I actually got this in the slides or not, so I apologize for that. But the mission of Hope Bible Fellowship is to make disciples of Jesus Christ by gathering together, growing deep, and going wide with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have a very simple process by which we hope to accomplish this and, and measure uh, where people are at in that, and it is the three simple words, gather, grow, go. Or in other words, gather together, grow deeper, and grow wide. Today we're going to cover the grow deeper portion of that. So the question is, how does someone grow spiritually? What are we talking about when we talk about our process of discipling or how we make disciples? How do we grow deeper together and how do we grow in our individual discipling of one another? So the first thing that I think we have to ask uh, is, what are the marks of a disciple of Jesus Christ? So what are the things that mark someone who follows Jesus, who is a disciple? Well, first we have to talk about what a disciple is. So to break that down and be really simple with that, a disciple is a follower. It's someone who follows around a teacher. They hear their teaching, they watch them living their life, and they, they follow them, they imitate them. A disciple is a follower. Now, we need to, I want to start off right off the bat, kind of swinging for the fences, and say that uh, mistakenly, over the years in churches, uh, it feels like people think there are more than one class of Christians, right? Like there's barely saved, and then there's like growing Christian, and then there's like disciple of Jesus, and then there's like super follower of Jesus, super disciple, and then somewhere over that, there's like pastor, okay? And then over that is like children's worker, okay? Because um, that's not my bag. But anyway, um, so... <laughs> I have a great story about that. Um, I was a youth pastor in, this does not have anything to do with the sermon, uh, but it's a great story that, I guess it does connect with that, okay? I was a youth pastor and uh, did not work with children, was not my thing, and, um, but I had kids of my own and I was fine, you know, helping out with VBS or doing whatever. 
and uh, they had a ladies' breakfast during Christmas time, always every year, and they had, would have a missionary come in and talk. And so during that time, the men of the church would fill in in all of the roles that women did. And a lot of women filled in a lot of the, the Sunday school teacher roles for the little kids. And so they asked me and my number one youth ministry volunteer, Jimmy, who had no kids and was nervous around children. He now has three, okay? But at the time he had none. And he was nervous around kids. They, they had us go into the, I think, the three and the four-year-olds, the preschoolers. And so we get in there, and I've got all, and there's like 12 of them. And I'm in there with them, and we're talking everything, and Jimmy hadn't shown up yet. And Jimmy walks in, and he just looks like this. Like he kind of froze, like, there's so many of them. And we were doing craft times, and so I was like, okay, Jimmy, Jimmy, come over here and help with that. And now, now kids, Jimmy's going to read us our story, and everybody go to the carpet. And it was, it, it was funny. But in all of that, Jimmy... This does have something to do with the sermon, even though I just thought it up. But that, that's a true story that happened. So my friend Jimmy, who was nervous about that, but was a believer in Christ, was not on a different level of following Christ than, say, our senior pastor. Now, one of them maybe was more mature in their faith, okay, farther along in that sanctification process, but... What I mean is, there's not levels of like, there's not different classes of Christian, okay? Uh, so to say, well, that discipleship stuff's for someone else. No, if you're a believer in Christ, it's for you. It's for you. So forgive my terrible example, um, but it was a good time to tell a funny story about my buddy Jimmy. So as we walk through this this morning, I'm going to rifle through a bunch of scriptures. I'm going to shoot a bunch of scriptures from the hip here. Well, not from the hip, okay? But if you don't catch all of them and you want them, let me know afterwards. I'll be happy to print them out for you, okay? You get print you a list of them uh, because it's a lot. And I recognized that as I was going through this and getting it ready. I was like, that's ah, a lot. And people might want to have those. So what... If there's not two different classes of, of Christians, there's either a follow, you're either a follower of Christ or you're not, right? You're a Christian or you're not. There's not really, and, and you don't get to decide what it means to be a Christian. You don't get to decide what it means to be a Christ follower. I saw some stuff on social media that says being a Christian is not this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And I was like, well, you've got some things on your list that, that, it says you can be a Christian if you this and this and this and this. I was like, you got some things on there that God says are evil. So, like, I don't understand how you can, like, say I'm going to follow Christ, but I'm going to be okay with stuff he says is, is sinful and evil and wrong. So that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. And so we don't get to say that. So we have to go to the word of God to find out what it, what it means. Like, so once I've trusted in Christ, I believe the gospel that Jesus died in my place for my sins and rose again. And I've repented of my sin and I've followed him. Now I want to know what, or I've decided to follow him. Now I need to know what it looks like to follow him. What, what is my life supposed to look like as I am in this thing called being a disciple of Jesus or being a follower of Jesus? Number one, if you're taking notes, is this. It's a response to God's initial call. A response to God's initial call. Someone who is a disciple of Jesus is marked by a response at some point 
At some point, they said yes to Jesus. At some point, they said, yes, I believe that Jesus died in my place for my sins. They may not have used that exact wording, okay? But they, they, they have trusted the gospel. They've trusted Jesus that he died for their sins. They've repented of their sins, which means they've admitted that they are a sinner. And they've repented of their sins and believed that good news of the gospel. Believed that Jesus died for their sins and rose again. Believed that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. At some point, there will be a response to God's initial call. Now, my friend Paul in college, my, you guys, so, so sometimes I prepare illustrations, I prepare stories, and sometimes they come to me when I'm standing up here. And sometimes they don't always work exactly right, like that story I told earlier. This one does, though. Uh, my friend Paul in college, we were, I went to a, a small uh, Baptist college over in Missouri, where Javen goes now, and um, loved it, loved, loved that school, Hannibal LaGrange University, good, great school. And so my friend Paul was there, and Paul was in the Bible department, and I was in the Christian education department at the time. And uh, we were just, all of us were talking, and people were talking about that moment of salvation, the moment where they trusted in Jesus. And Paul, what I really appreciated about Paul, he's like, I believe, like I trust Jesus, like I believe the gospel. Like he, Paul, is, Paul was a, a Christian, Okay, there's no doubt in my mind that Paul was a Christian. But Paul said, for me, it was a gradual coming to faith. Like I didn't, he couldn't nail down like a date and time where it used to be like you'd come, to, you, you know, you'd walk an aisle and then you'd, you'd talk to someone and you'd pray um, and, and you'd trust Jesus. And then someone would, you know, this is the date. It was September 21st of, you know, 1978, right? And you write it, and they say, write that in your Bible so you can remember it, right? And we made that a big deal, but a lot of times what we found, what we found over the years is a lot of those people, they didn't know what they were doing. It was just, and so you get sometimes, sometimes, not always, not always, okay? But sometimes we'd have a lot of people who would think they were Christians, and their life had showed no reflection of anything. Like, they just walked an aisle one time, got their name written down, um, and they were gone, Okay? So Paul, Paul's point was, what he was saying was, I heard it and heard it and heard it, and I gradually came to faith and believe. Now, theologically, I understand there is a moment where you go from, from death to life. Like, theologically, I, I understand there's a moment where uh, you go from not a Christian to a Christian, right? There's a moment of salvation, okay? But the point was, the point was that his response to God's call like, he was constantly responding to God. So he would hear it and believe it and hear it and believe it and hear it and believe it. And he couldn't, he was like, I just don't know a certain date and time where I knew that I, at that moment, became a Christian, but I know I am. I've repented of my sin. I believe the gospel, you know. And that was his story. My point is, there is always, for a disciple, there is a response to God's initial call. Let me show you what it looked like for some of his disciples in scripture. Mark 1, 16 through 20. The reason I tell that story about Paul, by the way, is because some of us grew up in church. And if you grew up in church, and you're like, 
I believe this is what I believe. I've trusted Jesus. I believe this. And there may be somebody who's like, I've lived my whole life following, like I follow Jesus. I believe this. Is I don't want someone to freak out because they don't have it written in the front of their Bible that it was, you know, December 18th of 1947. Okay? Boy, that went way back. But there is a moment of salvation. And if and, and let me also say this before I get into the scripture here, because I'm afraid that uh, I don't want this to be confusing. If you don't know if you've ever trusted Jesus, okay, if you don't know, then it's likely you haven't. And if this message, you don't know if you, and you look at your life and you're like, my life doesn't reflect any of this, I have no desire for this, and we'll talk about these other things, then we should talk about it. We should talk about it because maybe, maybe you never really believed the gospel and followed Jesus. So the point is, I don't want to cause people to, who don't need to doubt to doubt but I do want people who maybe are unsure to go, I'd like to lock this down. Make sense? I hope that tracks. So Mark 1, 16 through 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Can I just stop right there? I love little things like this in the Bible. He saw them casting their net into the sea because they were fishermen. That's what fishermen do. He doesn't just say, oh, they were casting their net in the sea and let you assume they're fishermen. It doesn't just say, oh, they were fishermen. It's like they're casting their net in the sea because they were fishermen. It's like saying, I-, I saw AJ doing someone's taxes because he's an accountant. You know, like, you know, like I saw, I saw, I, I knew this guy that used to, used to work at, uh, at, at Jimmy John's, right? Oh, I saw Phil making a sandwich. Because he works at Jimmy John's. Like, I mean, anyway. Let's pick it up. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask God to help us. God, as we come, Father, I pray you would settle my heart and my soul, that you would help us to focus on what it means to follow you, Jesus. What it looks like for us to disciple, be disciples and make disciples. And what it looks like for us to grow deeper together, Jesus. And it's in your name I pray. So the first thing is there's a response to God's initial call, right? So Jesus comes and he sees them and they're casting nets because they're fishermen. And he calls them and they respond. Boom. They respond. Now maybe you heard Jesus call to you in scripture. Someone preached and you heard it once and you responded maybe you heard it time after time after time you know no i believe that no i believe that no i believe that but there's a moment you where you're going to respond and honestly every time we hear the word of god preached whether there's an invitation at the end or not you have to respond 
in your heart. And you will respond. You either say yes and amen, yes I believe that, or you'll go out and reject it and live your life in rejection to it. Remember, it's in or out. There's not like a, it's not like a halfway following Jesus thing. Christianity really is a radical faith. It really is. So they, Jesus calls them, and they go with him. They go, he goes on a little further, sees these other guys, the sons of Zebedee. Nobody uses that name anymore, do they? They see the sons of Zebedee, and he calls to them, and they hear Jesus' call, and they say, yeah, they, they go with him. Now, I want to point out something. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So they heard probably Jesus called to these other guys, right? The Zebedee and the hired men were there as well. And Jesus called to Zebedee's sons. So he's overhearing all this. Put yourself in old Zeb's shoes. And they call out. Jesus calls out to them. And they leave their father in the boat with hired men. Remember, they're fishermen, so they're, they're on the job. They're working. And they leave their father in the boat. It's not like they said, hey, let's, let's, let's get to the end of the day here. Right? They left their father... And they follow Jesus. There's an initial response. And so that immediately makes me go, okay. So you're reading your scripture, right? You're reading the Bible in the morning or in the evening, whenever you read yours. And you get to a part. And it says says something. You read it and you're like, oh, that's me. That's my life. I need, that's what I need to be doing. And you know, like you're convicted about it. That needs to change. I need to repent of that. Whatever it is. And God calls you to repentance, to change that thing in your life. And there's a response. Do you leave whatever it is in the boat and go with Jesus? Or do you say, yeah, but I really like that thing whatever it is, maybe bitterness, maybe some kind of addiction. I don't know what it is in your life. So, there's an, so there, the mark of a disciple is, number one, an initial response to Jesus' call. Number two, we got to hurry here. I'm not going to get finished with these. Is a desire to know what God has said. A desire to know what God has said. Disciples of Jesus want to know God's word. If we're going to follow the king, we need to know the king's decrees. Right? So Job 23:12 says, "I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food." Jeremiah 15:16 says, "Your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts." Is the word of God the delight of your heart? Romans 10.17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. 
and 1 Peter 2.2, 2, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Do you, I don't know if you've ever been around a hungry baby, but they want that food and they want it bad. And they want it now. And they hunger for that nourishing milk. We're supposed to long for pure spiritual milk, the word. We should long for it. So we've got a, an initial response to God's call. Then we've got a desire to hear what God has said. And what he has said, we have his word complete, right? We have it right here. Number three is a break from the world's standards. A disciple of Jesus is marked by a break from the standards of the world. Our way of living, our way of making decisions, our way of deciding what we're going to do changes when we come to know Christ at that, that moment of salvation, right? That point where we come to know Jesus, as we learn more and more and we desire in the word and we're in the word more, our desires and the things that the way we make decisions changes. Now, if you're a baby Christian, maybe you've never been discipled, you're like, I believe the gospel, but I've never, you've never really grown or anything, but my friend Charles says, the fruit of the Spirit is present in the life of a believer. And if you're a new believer or a baby Christian, there might be just like a, just like a little bud of it, but it'll be there. But through that process of discipling, through sanctification, it'll grow. But there's a break from the world's standards. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I, I want to suggest this, and I'm trying real hard not to. I don't want to, like, lay guilt on you, okay? I don't want to, that's not what I want this to be. And because I'm doing things different than the way I normally do them, I'm afraid it might sound like that, and I don't want it to. When we talk about a break from the world's standards, I think too often we want to follow Jesus and we want the world's approval at the same time. We feel like there's a way that we can follow Jesus in such a way that everybody in the world is going to be cool with us. And I just want to tell you that is not true. Because the way the world measures things and the way Jesus measures things are different. They're different. Let's move on. Fourth mark of a disciple is self-discipline. Well, we don't like that one. Now, this is not in opposition to grace. This is not in opposition to grace. Galatians 5, through 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. We rely on the Spirit to empower us, to help us to obey God's decrees. But we also, by a fruit of the Spirit, can exercise self-control. 
Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus told the disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Following Jesus means at some point, you're going to have to make a decision in your life. There's going to come a point, I don't know when it is for you, there will come a point in your life where you're going to have to deny yourself in order to follow Jesus. And I think in a very tangible, real way sometimes. It might be, you might have had to do that this morning. You might have woke up like I did. Everything hurt. Like my back hurts. I got to go scoop the driveway. And then you're sitting at the breakfast table at the wonderful, amazing breakfast that my wife made. It was delicious. And you think, it'd be a whole lot easier just to stay home today. But you don't. Because you deny that self, that, oh, I just want to have that comfort. Because I want to obey what God says that I should gather, that, that I should not neglect the gathering together of the saints, that God's people are to gather together and worship him. What we talked about last week, right? And we had, by the way, had a great time in life groups talking further about that and kind of breaking down that passage in Acts more. 1 Corinthians 9, 21 through 27 says, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. It's amazing how many times in my life, this is just me, and I'm not trying to use myself as a hero, because please, I'm not a hero. Um, But it's amazing how many times I'll have something that I'll say or do around the house or in my life, and I'll be like, oh my goodness, like if people did that in your church and you knew about it, you'd, you'd be preaching at them about it. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We, we've got, we have to have self-discipline. That, that's not an opposition to grace. The fifth mark of a disciple of Jesus, desire to seek and encourage other disciples. Uh, what we read last week from Acts chapter 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. When you know and love Jesus, you want to hang around with other people who know and love Jesus. I just don't, I just don't know any other way, but you want to seek out and encourage other Christians. When you, as you begin to grow in your faith and grow deeper, we desire to see other people grow deeper. We want to, like, oh man, I had this incredible, like I've had this incredible experience of following Jesus and, and look, there's been some crazy rough times in my life. But man, I've had such a, I, don't, I couldn't have made it through this without Jesus. I don't know how other people do that. How do other people make it? Like, I'm looking at you guys here in this room. And I know some of the stuff that's gone on in your lives. And I look at our lives, I look at my life, the things I know have gone on in my life. Do you ever look at your life and think, there's so many people going through that right now. How did they go through that without Jesus? And we want to encourage other people. So often I think the things that God brings us through in our life, 
are not necessarily for our benefit, but so that we can minister to someone else who's going through that same thing. There may be another Christ follower out there who needs our encouragement. There is, by the way. There is. Uh, Romans 15, 5 through 6 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus and following Jesus should push us toward other Christians, not away from them. Should push us towards other Christians. And guys, I spend a lot of time on social media. There's some Christians that really grind my gears out there. But loving Jesus should push me towards Christians, even those where I'm like, I love you. I got a rebuke for you, but I love you. It should push us towards them, not away from them, because we seek to encourage one another. We should desire to gather and grow deeper together. 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light gives us fellowship with one another. Mark number 6 of a disciple, passion for evangelism. i got to speed up. Passion for evangelism. Christians want other people to become Christians. You have been told by the world that you should not push your faith on other people. You, if you are a believer in Christ, if you are a Christian, then you believe that the only way to escape God's wrath and spend eternity in a very real place called hell where it is hot, you believe that the only way to not end up there is through faith in Jesus. If you really believe that, why would you not want as many people as possible to know this Jesus and not some fake one that they created but the real Jesus in scripture 1 Peter 2:21 says for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps we should follow in Jesus steps and what did Jesus do he preached repent and believe the gospel the kingdom of God is at hand. Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And we are far too worried about our reputations and our personal comforts to deny ourselves or to die to the things of the world. I promise you the building is not collapsing. The guy's plowing the lot right out the back door. So, <laughs> yes. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. And then John fourteen twelve says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Christians want other people who are not Christians to become Christians. And then they want to be around them and encourage them and grow together. Number seven, mark of a disciple is perseverance. Keeping on, keeping on in the faith till the end. Philippians three thirteen through 14. Brothers, I do not consider 
that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in, of God in Christ Jesus. We understand that God establishes our steps. We understand that once you are saved, once you are a Christian, a Christ follower, that no one can steal you out of God's hand. You're not going to lose your salvation. But we are to persevere amidst suffering. and Let that draw us closer to God, not push us farther away. There's a doctrine called Perseverance of the Saints. I talked about it when we were in Hebrews last year. That those in Christ will remain in Christ. Those in the faith will remain in the faith until the end whether that's their physical end or the till Jesus returns. Psalm 37, 23 and 24. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. When he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. God upholds. So let's ask this. If that's the mark of a disciple of Jesus. And we said our mission is to make disciples by gather, grow, go. I know I shortened that for you. Then what is the larger context for discipling? Based on scripture, what's the larger context for discipling? Obviously there's the one-on-one discipling of one another, but what's the larger context? Well, the, the larger context is the local church. The local church is God's plan for reaching the world. It isn't actually parachurch organizations or uh, missions organizations outside of the local church or any of that. God's plan for reaching the world is the local church, and there is no plan B. That's it. That's plan A. Now, those other organizations I mentioned, I'm not saying they're bad. Some of them are very good, and they're doing very good things. But based on Scripture... I don't see a lot of parachurch organizations in Scripture, okay? Based on Scripture, what I understand, God's plan A for discipling people, for reaching the world, it's the local church. I keep using that word discipling. We talked about it a little bit last week. What is discipling? What do I mean by the word discipling? Here's what I mean. Loving Jesus and helping other people grow in their love of Jesus. To even simplify it further, it's helping people grow in their following of Christ. It's following Jesus and helping other people follow Jesus. So what... When I say disciple, you're like, yeah, discipleship. We've talked about that. If you grew up in church, you're like, I went to discipleship training, or I went to this or that. We use the word discipling purposefully. Because it's a little bit different, and it's active. Discipleship is a thing. Discipling is an action, like it's something we're doing. So what, what is discipling? When we look at discipling in the Bible, what is biblical discipling? Well, first, biblical discipling is intentional and deliberate. Biblical discipling is intentional and deliberate. We have to stop hoping that something happens and be intentional with our actions. We already know that it is the will of God for us to make disciples because we see it in Scripture. So you don't have to wonder about that. You don't have to wonder, gosh, I wonder if Jesus wants me to make disciples. Nope, you don't have to wonder. He does. He does. 
Are you going to do it or not? That's the question. Like, it's your job. It's your ministry. We must be purposeful in what we do. I've heard a leadership cliche that says, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. If we don't make a plan or aim for, for discipling in our lives, we won't do it. If we don't make a plan for discipling in our lives, it's like anything else, we won't do it. You say, Pastor, I need to lose 40 pounds. But you don't make a plan on how you're going to do that, you're not going to do it. You know why? That's why almost no one's New Year's resolutions work. That's why the gyms are packed right now, and in two weeks they will be empty. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hebrews 10.24 And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So biblical discipling is intentional. Secondly, biblical discipling is relational. A disciple would follow his teacher. The twelve who walked with Jesus, they, they ate, they drank, they slept, they laughed, and they journeyed together. They saw how their teacher treated other people. They watched his life. It was a relationship. There was time
said a pastor's job is to open the door for Jesus. He used Revelation 3.20. Okay. And he said a pastor's job is to open the door for Jesus. And I think a disciple of Jesus' job is to show people Jesus. To show people Jesus. So what do we do with this? I'm going to challenge you in a couple ways. I'm going to ask the musicians to go ahead and stage and then we'll, we'll wrap up. But, um, I want to challenge you with this. <clears throat> There's a process of sanctification in the life of the disciple of Jesus. So what if someone has that moment of salvation where they trust Jesus, right? They believe the gospel. Yeah, together in smaller groups to grow people. 